Menopause Space podcast is brought to you by Reset 40, an evidence-based nutrition and wellness program for menopause and perimenopause. My name is Lisa Tarquini. I'm a UK registered nutritionist and a licensed menopause champion. I've been menopausal since I was 32, following my first session of chemotherapy for cervical cancer. As someone who reads medical journals for a living, I'm shocked at the lack of resources and research available for people experiencing perimenopause and menopause. This podcast provides evidence-based solutions for all women who want to live a strong, healthy, and confident midlife. It's a space for partners who want to learn more about this transition so they can better support their loved one. And it's an uplifting and empowering community so no one ever has to feel alone. You're listening to The Menopause Space. Coming up on this episode, hope and reassurance from one of Hong Kong's most experienced physicians. Part of this process, I would say, is actually helping to educate those around her, say, hey, you know, this won't be forever. There are things that you can do about it. When you help one aspect, other things will also improve. We bust a few menopause myths with Dr. Rebecca Lau. For many of us going through menopause today, our frames of reference often come from the media whether that's an almost comical portrayal of hot flashes on TV or headlines on HRT. While many of us may have been around our mothers and older female relatives going through menopause, by and large, their generation was not big on sharing their experience. So it's really important to us here at the menopause space to share contemporary evidence-based research so that people are well-informed about this transition so they can get the help, care and support they need. To help us today, we're joined by Dr. Rebecca Lau. Rebecca is a highly respected practitioner of family medicine here in Hong Kong and has a huge amount of experience in the field of perimenopause, menopause and HRT. Thank you, Rebecca, for joining us today. Hey, Lisa, thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm so delighted that uh, you've joined me today because I would like to use your medical knowledge to provide the women and people of Hong Kong with some evidence-based kind of terms on what is menopause, defining perimenopause and, you know, discussing HRT, the benefits and the risks possibly in, in taking HRT as well. Yeah, before we started chatting, I actually didn't realize that it was an an issue, you know, because I just think of perimenopause, this kind of time of life change, this transitional period where things can go all awry because our hormones are everywhere. I just thought like people would get that treated. But I understand from what you're saying that um, a lot of people, a lot of ladies don't know that there are options or they're scared to take these options or, you know, I guess it's not a conversation that people sit around having like the barbecue or having a coffee going like, oh, I've been having hot flushes. What about you? (laughs) But they should, because if it was normal, then more women would know about it. So I think most people are aware of the definition of the actual menopause, but for those who, you know, are maybe younger and listening to this or maybe husbands, what is the definition of the menopause itself? For most people, the understanding will be one year from the time of having your final menstrual period. So your last period 
one full year without having periods and not for another reason, like not because there's been surgery or medication or illness, but just the last natural period. Some people who would be really strict would be saying that it has to be two years if you're under 50, but generally it's accepted as one full year. So one full year. So then what about perimenopause? How would that be defined? So I always think about periods around the menopause time, yeah? So around the menopause time, what happens will be most women will notice that they'll have the symptoms and irregularity in their cycle together. Sometimes one will precede the other by quite a bit, but usually there's some changes that come together. For example, I would take any sort of irregularity. If you've always been sort of a five days, every 28 days sort of girl, and now they're kind of going, hmm, four days, only believing for three days. Oh, it's coming a bit earlier. It's coming a bit later. It's a bit heavier. It's a bit lighter. Oh, got two periods a month. Missed a month. One, two, miss a few. I think those will all happen leading up to the menopause. And with that, and sometimes preceding the menstrual change, people will have other symptoms of menopause, mainly like the, the vasomotor symptoms. So these would be hot flushes in the day, flushes, sweats, night sweats, waking up because, you know, you're wet, you're sleepwear. But it can also be just feeling like foggy-headed. That's a bit controversial, I know, but yeah, that can be too. Usually the other ones, I'd say, are kind of more when you're really feeling like more menstrual regularity, so those joint aches, um, weight gain around the middle, feeling like you have to pass urine more often, having kind of vaginal dryness, uh, frequent urine infections, vaginal infections. I'll probably miss some, but those would be the main things. And so women, can they experience this? I've read some uh, science on it that women can experience this between four and even 10 years prior to their final menstrual cycle. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing is that when you first start having these symptoms, you you don't actually know. You just think, oh gosh, is everybody feeling the heat here or is it just me? You know, And then it might pass. It might go away for a few months. It might come back. And so sometimes it's really hard to pin down. But yeah, anywhere from like one to 10 years before your actual menopause happens. Yeah, and I suppose if you think about a woman in mid-40s who are experiencing some of these symptoms, they're already you know, juggling maybe big careers, family, loved ones, maybe training. You know, Hong Kong is, is renowned for people doing triathlon or hiking, you know, and, and possibly they're just thinking, wow, is this, am I stressed? Am I exhausted? Because the symptoms are quite general, I suppose. And you're so right, Lisa, because, you know, these are the hard and fast years, also the sandwich years, yeah? You are Often, if you're working outside of the home, you're also raising kids. They're going through their own um, transitions. They might still be small. Some are teenagers. You've also got ailing or aging parents, possibly in another country. And it just it feels like, am I, am I just not able to cope? Is all of this just stress-related? Or some women will say, like, I think I'm losing my mind. And the thing is that there are so many transitions during this period of life. It is so hard to sometimes tell what is causing one thing or another thing. And we know like when there's spikes of estrogen. So when we think about menopause or perimenopause, people often think about the estrogen declining, but there are, you know, these surges of estrogen, these spikes as well. And we know that estrogen actually, both the lack of it, but also these spikes can make people more 
vulnerable to anxiety or stress. You actually feel it more. You feel pain more. I mean, there is a reason why the second peak of schizophrenia is in the 50s in women. You know, there's only one peak for guys, young men, young women, but the second peak is in our 50s because estrogen is neuroprotective. So there are things that they're all coming around this time of life that makes it hard. And is it because, you know, I'm having sex less frequently? And so when I had sex, then I've got an infection is because I'm not having sex frequently. And so I think it's hard for people to tell what is one thing versus another. And of course, when you don't feel good, everything is also harder. If you're not sleeping well, of course, your cognition is not going to be as good the next day, which therefore leads to maybe harder or poorer decision making. So everything affects something else. Yeah, it sounds like a vicious circle. Is that why perimenopause is a challenge to, you know, sometimes diagnose? When people come and I say, you know, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. I'm like, well, you can't be because that's why you're here, unless they're really good at doing preventative healthcare. But I think that it's hard because we who are asking the questions, maybe you're being detectives, we have to have it at least in our mind that this could be one of the things that is happening. Because otherwise, it's very easy to go like, oh, yeah, missing some periods is probably normal around, around this time of life. But, you know, okay, what's happening with your joints? Let's work up your joints. Your joints are aching? Okay, let's work up your joints. And you can circle around because so many of these problems, as you said, are quite general or maybe vague. It's just very easy to look at each of those things themselves. But kind of you have to be considering, could this be to the hormonal flux before you would address it? If it's not on the table, then you'll go, okay, you're not sleeping well. Well, you know, maybe um, try this, try that, and let's see how your sleep goes without really knowing oh, maybe it's the perimenopause and that's affecting all of these things. So I was reading also in the science about testing for perimenopause and, and actually diagnosing, you know, it's not medical, but I suppose identifying if they are in perimenopause so that you can better prescribe best care. So, you know, what would the difference in the test be, if any, for a woman who is, and this is obviously naturally going through it, before 45 years of age and then after 45 years of age. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of discrepancy and uh, best practice. I think because people also have different preferences. So, for example, if it's very clear that periods have started to go become very irregular, um, say they've had some tests before, it's not their thyroid, it's not prolactin, it's not this or that, then you don't need blood tests to say a woman is in perimenopause. And Lisa, you know that blood tests, they can be very misleading, yeah? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But often I still order them because it can still be helpful. So that's the, I think that's the difference. They can be still helpful, but they're not required because if a woman has the symptoms then that in itself generally is enough to say yep this is a person who is suffering from the hormonal flux of perimenopause it's always nice to rule out a few things you know medical conditions and also sometimes there's other concurrent issues that for example if the person's been having heavy periods as part of this they might be iron deficient as well there are other things that you can do that not the primary cause of the problem, but make how a person is feeling worse. But back to your question, do you need blood work to diagnose perimenopause? No, but it sometimes, especially the younger a woman is, it's kind of helpful because then we can be confident that 
there's nothing else causing this and there's no other medical conditions associated or that might be another thing that's going on. That's really good to know and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be very thankful for that information. One of the comments I suppose I hear quite often because women generally come to me for, you know, nutrition and and weight loss during post 40, so during midlife. And one of the comments that I often get uh, from them is that their doctor has told them their BMI is too high and they just need to lose weight and they'll feel better. So they've been, they feel like they've been brushed off, that their symptoms haven't been acknowledged because their BMI is too high. Can you give a little bit of clarity on that? That sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I know. <laughs> yes, I totally agree. But from what I hear in Hong Kong, they have been told, just lose weight. Hmm. I really don't know what to say on that, Lisa. Like, because part of the issue of perimenopause is this kind of change of hormonal impact on the way weight is distributed in the body and slowing down of the way the hormones help regulate lipids. So, you know, cholesterol goes up, weight gain does come on, metabolism changes. So I'm not quite sure because isn't the answer to dealing with that actually dealing with the problem? It would make sense. So I would say for any woman who has been, yeah, who's been told like just lose some weight, I don't know. They'd have to say, well, okay, what do I need to do? <laughs> Get a second opinion. <laughs> yeah. Get yeah. a second opinion for sure. Yeah. But I suppose going back to your comments before, when you said, you know, with the onset of possibly poor sleep, lethargy, leading to maybe poor choices in nutrition, not having the energy to go out, you know, moving if they got to the root of the cause, which is their fluctuating hormones, and they were prescribed possibly HRT, they maybe feel better. And then, Mm. you know, they would make better lifestyle choices, and they would sleep better. And all of these things would not disappear, but they would, you know, really feel much, much better, rather than just feeling like they've been put to the scrap heap you're Mm. overweight, lose weight, and you'll feel better, you know? And it's that vicious cycle you were talking about before where one thing leads to another because relationships are everything. Relationships in our life um, are everything. And when your closest relationships are impacted because of how you're feeling, it can cause a lot of devastation within a family because one negative comment leads to increased isolation with you and your partner because you don't want to get into a fight because they don't understand. So, which leads to further conflict, maybe misunderstanding, feeling bad about yourself. When you feel bad about yourself, you don't want to do anything, you comfort ease. You know, so I think all of these things, they really have ramifications on not only ourselves, but the people closest to us. And part of this process, I would say, is not just for the person going through it, it's actually helping to educate those around her, say, hey, you know, this won't be forever. There are things that you can do about it. There's things that when you help one aspect, other things will also improve. That's really good advice, you know, like just... Being able to communicate and share how you're feeling, even with one area, like possibly you don't have the energy to move, therefore you feel like you're gaining weight, so please don't comment on that. That makes the situation much better rather than somebody making a negative comment and then you know, going down into a negative spiral because of that. No, I think you answered that really well. 
Thank you for that. Yeah, and I also wanted to point out something really important, especially for mums, because a lot of mums, especially working mums, you feel like you you can feel. So this is a word for people out there who may feel a similar way. Some someone's described as that you feel like you're fighting a losing fight on all sides, and so. And it's not the be-all and end-all of everything because there may be many, many factors involved. But when you know that there's one area that you could do something about that make a significant difference in both your working life and your home life, at least it can give people hope. It can give people hope that there's something I can do, I can be empowered, but also I can let the people around me know what's going on. Like one mum says, like, I'm absolutely toxic to my kids when I get like this. You know, my husband as well. And some will say, like, I just, you know, I don't even know why I'm married. And I think a lot of that frustration comes out from the fact that oh, the hormones are all over the place. It's like going through puberty. For those people who went through had a really hard puberty, it's like it all coming in. But as like a 40-something, 50-something year old woman who have people relying on you, who have people you are in close relationships with, it can cause some difficult, you know, words to come out. It can cause a difficult period in the life of the family that has impact on, you know, how your children react to life stresses as well. But I just feel that that's really important for people to hear that there is hope, there is something that you can do. You can also let those around you understand that you are doing something actively to help this. And when they see those changes, that you can bring them into that as well and say, hey, you know, this is what I've started. Have you noticed any difference? And I love it that when women come to see me, they actually often say, I don't know if I notice any difference, but my husband certainly does. Honestly, I really thank you for sharing that. And this is the reason why I created the menopause space, because over the years that I have been menopausal, I have learned so much, but I have witnessed so much, you know, relationships break down during this phase because of lack of understanding and lack of communication. Mm -hmm. And, you know, fatally, some women, which is quite rare, but some women actually commit suicide at this stage because they haven't started the conversation with a loved one they haven't shared how they're feeling and it's gone too far and you know thankfully women are coming to see you and are getting the help and the advice that they need but it's very good for you to you know point out that even just starting the conversation with a loved one and letting them know how you're feeling and what you're trying to do to put in place in order to feel better and make the situation better for your family is really important as well. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to the often topic of contention, HRT. What is HRT? And again, until you had mentioned this, I didn't realize it was a topic of contention because it's like medicine, right? If a person has diabetes, you should treat it. And there's different ways to treat it and different options available. And you can choose. You have a range, unless it's extremely severe and they need to be put on insulin or in hospital, there's often a wide variety and a way that you can you have a choice to manage it. So I didn't realize it was really an issue or that controversial because, you know, with everything, there are pros and cons. With everything, there are risks and benefits, yeah? It's kind of weighing up 
what makes sense for each individual woman and her current environment or situation that she is in. For example, I had a lady who, very, very high position, and she said, I'm on HRT, I can live with all of this stuff, but I'm on it because I don't want to go into a meeting and shake people's hands and then drip with sweat and have them think that I'm anxious about what I'm going to say or I'm worried about something. So it really can be different for different people. First of all, like, there are such different symptoms. Some people sail through perimenopause. Like one day they wake up, they have their last period, and a year later, that's it. You know, they're on this end of the spectrum. And then, as you said, on the other end, with there's that 10 year of this fluctuating what's going to happen up and down until finally the last period comes and it's done you know and even after that some women will have symptoms even after they're fully menopause they can have these uh, vasomotor symptoms so i guess it's controversial because of the women's health initiative study and saying like increase in cancers and so forth and so forth but if you look at the quality of life situation there are way more pros than cons if a person is having symptoms that really affect their everyday life. I mean, even if you look at types of HRT, yeah? Up until recently, I actually also thought like women should be off oral contraceptives, you know, preferably by 40, if not 45. But more recently, there's been more and more evidence just to show that if a woman doesn't have certain risk factors, which would need to be talked through on a person-to-person basis, they can safely go stay on a low-dose oral contraceptive until the age of 50. When we're talking HRT, it's usually going to be your estrogen, progesterone, sometimes testosterone, and using those at different times. The biggie was like, if you're using the estrogen-progesterone combinations, then there's all that fear around breast cancer. But if you look at about a 1,000 women, even if you're on oral estrogen, which is slightly higher risk, the absolute like numbers, they're very, very small. Like You might have an increase of five to eight women per 1,000 women. Yes, you know there is a slight increase, but it's very, very small. And when you then say, well, what about using estrogen in the safest form, which is a topical estrogen, then those numbers are really, really very, very minimal. I don't even know if there's a really good long-term study saying how many, but most would say that definitely within three years, but some would say up to five, there is no increase in the background rate of what was going to be there already. Okay, So I think if there's a fear around increased risk of breast cancer, the numbers are very small. And the use of tropical estrogen, which is the best way of using it anyway for other reasons, it lowers that to a kind of a really minimal, minimal amount. Like ovarian cancer, I think is like oh, maybe one extra woman per thousand, something like that. I would say, though, like if you are a smoker, if you have a strong family history of clots in the legs and lungs, these are individual risks that you would want to speak about to your prescribing doctor. Also, things like if you're using HRT at a much older age or for a much longer period of time, yep, some of the risks, they do increase. But again, for the majority of women who will be going through perimenopause when they benefit from HRT the most in their 40s, their 50s, for the majority of women, 
the risk is very, very minimal. Thank you for sharing that. And I think for me, it seems the benefits outweigh the risks. If we think about the benefits on the cardioprotective role of estrogen on the heart, we think about, you know, the role that it plays in strengthening our bones and protecting, you know, our brain and reducing that brain fog and, you know, reducing the risk of age related dementia. For me, it just seems like if we think about women, not all women, but some women drink alcohol, the risk of getting cancer from drinking alcohol may be higher than the risk of taking HRT. Yeah. So, you know, there's women, you know, that I, I see in my clinic who are trying to do it naturally, but trying to get them to drink only three days a week and not every day is a, is a huge challenge, you know, when that's, that's a, an interesting topic that hopefully we will be able to, um, to talk about later on in the season. But in terms of HRT and women taking it, so there are pros and there are cons of taking it, but does it suit everybody? I think that most women, again, would find a form of HRT that is suitable. So we have low-dose oral contraceptive. It is an option if that suits that person. Putting a Mirena coil to protect the uterus from the effects of estrogen over time for women who want to, who would benefit from using estrogen but still have a uterus. Um, you can have a Mirena coil, which slowly re- reduces progesterone to keep the lining of the uterus thin while you use topical or oral estrogen. I think topical is the preferred choice but some people find it's hard to remember. They find that it's just a mental barrier to putting something on and letting it dry. Maybe they would prefer an oral form. And then there's oral HRT as well, obviously, the pill form. And then there's something called Tibolone, which is a synthetic analog, and it has its own area of being used, although less commonly used, but for people who have maybe a higher risk of breast cancer or who are breast cancer, who are really suffering and have had past treatment for cancers. So there are different options and most women would be able to find something that would work for them. I would sometimes say though it takes a little while and maybe patience is required. It's not like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It sometimes takes a while to figure out what the best combination is and a bit of trial and error and if a person is patient then usually they'll will be able to find something that suits them. Bearing in mind that while a person is on HRT, they're also transitioning in their hormonal flux as well. So what might have been a really good option a year ago may not no longer be as useful now, or it might be that some tweaking might need to be done to keep that optimal. And it is a, a lot of, like you say, trial and error. I've had some clients who started using HRT and the tenderness in their breasts and the water retention was just too much and they just didn't enjoy it so they've chosen not to use it and I think it's okay not to use it if you definitely have things put in place lifestyle wise where you're nourishing your body you're protecting your heart with the types of food you're eating you're moving well you're sleeping well but if you're not particularly sleeping well because it has kind of the onset of of many 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 other things then it is important to stay patient and maybe try a few different things to hopefully get the right solution for you. Yeah, and that's the thing. Once off, um, bad experience, it doesn't mean that it will continue to be that way. And, you know, sometimes 
it really isn't for a person or they have to use ultra start off with ultra ultra low doses and work slowly up and i think so long as a person knows that they have different options it's not the be all and end all it's not one size fits all and it's really what they need at that time so for most women perimenopause will be about three four years some some will say three to five years but interestingly often the worst symptoms come in the initial few years as the estrogen kind of um, slowly depletes tails off even though the estrogen is getting overall lower, the symptoms of perimenopause actually improve. So again, I will also say it won't last forever. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it is It is important to point that out. You know, I suppose this is, you know, why I, I love talking to experts like you because you're giving women hope, you know, because when you're in the thick of it, for that 50% who are in the middle going up and down and up and down and up and down, I suppose a quarter of women, you know, won't feel anything, which is fantastic. And then a quarter of women will find it really debilitating. And then you've got this group in the middle that are up and down and up and down. It won't last forever. And you can manage your symptoms if you get the right help and you ask the right doctor. Yeah. And Lisa, you are way more of an expert than I am in this field. I'm really glad to be able to see how much of a difference, sometimes even just a small dose over a shortish period of time can make for a woman to feel that one, she's not losing her mind, she's not a horrible person, that it allows her to gain a some more, uh, we're never really in control of the things that really matter, but it allows her to gain a measure of control of the things that are important to her in order to be able to make good, sound, wise, healthy decisions for her and for those around her. I think that is really what I enjoy seeing happen and to be able to do. And sometimes it will be more than HRT because sometimes it's, you know, there really is a depression there as well. And maybe the HRT only goes so far to help that and, and we will use other things also. But it's a shame when per, people are put on antidepressants and a little bit of estrogen would have done the trick. Oh, absolutely. And I'd like to share a little bit of my own personal story. I was taking HRT from June 2012 after I finished my chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And when I moved to Hong Kong, I had a big job and I was probably crying four or five days out of the seven. And I remember calling my husband saying, my mood is really low today for absolutely no reason. And I kept going to see our lovely resident, Dr. Helen Duckworth-Smith out here in Clearwater Bay. And she asked to put me on an antidepressant, an SSRI. And I said, no, <laughs> I'm already taking, you know, HRT. I've taken some other medication and I said, no, you know, I want to do this naturally. What else can I do? But I had no energy, nothing. And it was the third time that I went back to see her. And, you know, I'll be frank, the snot was literally dripping off the top of my nose. I was honestly crying so hard. And she said, please let me help you. And she explained the science on serotonin. And that was it for me because that's my job and that's what I love. And within two weeks, I was running 5K, 10K. My husband, like you said um, before, my husband was like, 
where have you come from? <laughs> and I can honestly say during cancer treatment, post-cancer treatment, in my job as a nutritionist with Olympic athletes, I was a walking, talking health and wellness guru and it wasn't enough. I needed the chemicals. And for those who are listening, who are struggling and trying to do it naturally, sometimes you need a little extra help and it's okay to ask for a little bit of extra help. And it doesn't always have to be for a long term, but it is out there if you really need it. And if I could go back in time, I would have taken that SSRI the first time and not the third time because it helped me become a mum. It helped me go through the surrogacy process and become a mother where if I had have taken it the first time, maybe in 2015, mm-hmm. I would have been a younger mother rather than you know, a mum that started at 39. But in hindsight, for those who are listening, take the help if you need it. Okay, last question I have for you is, there are a lot of misconceptions around just menopause in general. Do you see any in your clinic that you would like to kind of myth bust put some relief out there for women that no that's not true that's not the evidence i think the biggest one will be hrt is going to give me cancer i think that's the biggest one like and yes any responsible doctor they're going to be speaking to you about it they're going to go through your family history and your personal history other risk factors the risk of clots is probably just as much, really. But I think the big one is because breast cancer is a very emotive topic anyway, and people feel like they're putting themselves in harm's way by trying to feel better. So I think that's the biggest one. But really, otherwise, by the time they've come to see me, I think they're ready, as you said, to be helped. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They've exhausted every other avenue. And I think that it'd be very easy because it's a very vulnerable time. It'd be very easy for uh, the wrong message to be received. Well, you might get clots, you might get gauze, bladder disease, and, you know, actually your risk of heart disease goes up if you use it too long. And, you know, it's very easy to scare somebody out of it. And as we said before, the overall risks for most women are extremely small. I think I have more misconceptions maybe from people I know, friends who are like, oh, you know, I've said to them, you know, try some HRT, you know, if you're suffering this much, you know, just try some HRT and just, you can always not use it, right? If you try it and you're like, I don't like it, it's an option, it's not a must. You can always try it, see how it impacts you. If you don't like it or you find it's not very helpful or for whatever reason, you can always just stop. It's not like you have to wean off it slowly. There's some long process to stop it. But I think the myth around that is that there's something maybe wrong about using because it's natural because menopause is a natural process as it is and all will go through it as a natural process for some people i think that they feel like it is wrong or weak or not necessary because it happens to every woman i don't know i took pain relief when i gave birth i did not go the natural route so i am all for less pain (laughs) Absolutely. We don't have to be a hero all the time. And we are wearing in midlife a lot of different hats and juggling a lot of different things. And it is important to put your oxygen mask on first before you look after others. And if you do need the help, I would highly recommend taking it. Um, I sleep very well at night, thankfully. And, you know, I have a lot of energy and it's all because of 
thankfully, scientific evidence-based research that is supporting the use of HRT. Mm. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me today. I know that every woman listening will be much more reassured and confident in their symptoms, asking for help, talking to a loved one, and possibly using HRT and other medication if needed. Thank you so much for your wisdom today. Hey, it's been fun to speak about it. And like I have so much to say about it because I just feel like half of the world's population, they're going to experience this to some greater or lesser degree. We should really have more awareness about it and to be able to know that there are just options available. So thank you for having the menopause space and thank you for having this platform so that we can just all learn how to take care of ourselves and those around us better. You're most welcome. Your experience is really important to us here at the Menopause Space. You can check out our free resources as well as our professional advisory services at themenopausespace.com. We would also love to hear from you. Send us a voice note to the WhatsApp number in the show notes with comments or any questions you would like us to answer about menopause. Or you can email us at podcasts at themenopausespace.com. Next time on the Menopause Space Podcast. What I really recommend all couples to do or solo females is to give themselves or have their partner give them a breast massage every single day for at least 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> really? Just a, yeah, yes, just a breast massage. A masterclass on sex and the menopause with mindful intimacy coach Vivian Khan. That's it for this edition of the Menopause Space. I'm Lisa Tarquini in Hong Kong. Thank you for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Reset 40, an evidence-based nutrition and wellness program for menopause and perimenopause. The Menopause Space is a bold type production produced by Paula Sales and edited by Richard Eldred.